Welcome to ABC Cafe. I'm your host, Anthony Apodaca. We are a podcast for curious people, a long-form conversation on culture, art, and politics in the state of Vermont, produced in partnership with Revelry Theatre. Revelry is a small nonprofit theater in the South End. All right, I'm here with Helen Scott. She is professor of English at UVM, a member of United Academics, AFT, AAUP, and is district vice president for Chittenden County with the Vermont AFL-CIO. Helen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, So I wanted to talk to you because I heard you on a panel discussion, um, I guess, what was that, two weeks ago, the Fund Vermont's Future panel, and then later you submitted part of your talk to the um, blog at DSA, which I'm a member of and we were able to publish. Um, About a month ago, the interest in higher education, I think, stepped up in the public eye with Jeb Spalding's proposal to close a couple of the college campuses. And you're a professor at UVM, so I kind of wanted to get an update from you, you know, what's happening at UVM, uh, which I think is not necessarily on the front of people's minds as much as the state colleges, just because it's it's more about cuts rather than closing the campus, which tends to grab more headlines. Yeah, sure. I mean, we're not in, we're not facing the same existential crisis that the state colleges have faced and are still facing, but it's still quite bad. Um, basically, there is no. I want to say to begin with, there is no comprehensive plan at UVM. It's been. Um, a very piecemeal approach to what they're calling budget uncertainty. But there is an expectation that enrollments will decline. I mean, there's no doubt that higher education is going to be hit really hard by this crisis. And so the administration at UVM are anticipating that. And basically what they're doing is cutting where they can Um, And what that looks like really is forcing the most vulnerable members of the campus to shoulder the burden. So what they announced through, and the top administration didn't announce this in one kind of unified way. They had the deans of the different colleges announce various measures. So there's already a difference between the colleges. My college is College of Arts and Sciences, and that's already been starved for the last decade. Um, There's a hierarchy within the university in terms of who gets funding. And we have a very punitive budget model. Um, So our dean declared, after thanking everybody, by the way, spent quite a long time telling the faculty and staff what a wonderful job they've done at turning around on a dime and responding to COVID and going remote, et cetera, et cetera. And then said, uh, due to budget uncertainty, we're going to take some measures. Um, some of us administrators are going to voluntarily take a reduction, which sounds really great. And then we're going to impose a, a, a cut on all lecturers. They're going to go down. Their usual workload is one. Their workload is going to be going down to 75% or point, 0.75%. What that means is a pay cut of 25% for many lecturers without really a reduction in workload because lecturers have been, their workload has been increasing quite steadily for some time. And then with the shift to remote learning, their workload's gone up even more. 
but um, most most um, of our lecturers are facing having two fewer classes to teach next spring, which brings their pay down. So, why is the um, why is the workload more with remote learning? Well, any any teacher will tell you. Actually, probably anyone right now will tell you that everything just takes a lot longer when you're doing it remote. Um, mm-hmm. And also, many people have never taught remote before. So there's a learning curve with really steep learning curve. And then it just takes more time to pay attention to all of your students when you don't get to meet face to face. Right. I can attest to that. Just I run a small nonprofit theater and uh, we've been trying to do some of our shows online. And in in the initial couple of months, (laughs) it was five times as much work <laughs> to scramble right. to figure out how does this how does this work you know what are the pitfalls of this technology and you know it, it's a huge learning curve for that yeah, yeah. i can see that yeah. it is so so there's the, you know that that was one part of the cuts the other thing that they announced was a freeze on hiring for staff and part-time faculty um staff are non-teaching staff that on campus are in a very precarious position. They have, there there are staff who are organized in UE and they made a sort of temporary arrangement with the administration that there wouldn't be layoffs until the end of May. And so we're expecting there to be considerable layoffs at the end of May. And the hiring freeze is an indication of that because it indicates that people are not going to be rehired. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really alarming for support staff and maintenance staff, whole range of, of um, people who really keep the university going. Uh, and then in addition, the part-time teachers, part-time lecturers, were already in a fairly precarious position because they tend to teach per course, you know, um, depending on need and depending on enrollment. And they get taught, they get paid, sorry, between like six and $7,000 a course. So the freezing hire on the part-timers is another aspect of the cuts. So what um, those of us who are organizing against these cuts are saying, this is a plan which offers maximum pain with minimum gain because they are cutting the least expensive parts of the university while leaving the huge pockets of wealth untouched. What would those pockets of wealth be at at UVM? Well, um, for one, there is a very bloated, overpaid top administration the president, with full compensation, gets six hundred and thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, which is so excessive. Yeah. And then, you know, the deans are making between two and three hundred thousand. Um, there is a considerable endowment, uh, and there's lots of money for all sorts of special projects all the time. So, it's not. I mean. There are parallels with the state colleges, which I hope we talk to, to we, we, we address, talk about. Um, but one of the differences is that there is wealth at UVM. You know, there is considerable pockets of wealth. And the whole approach of the administration is to protect that wealth 
and make the poorest people pay for budget uncertainty. So it's fundamentally regressive, right? It's a regressive approach. Yeah. Um, it's also completely undemocratic because there hasn't been any consultation. You know, I mean, you, you could imagine a university saying, there's an unprecedented crisis, there's a pandemic, we're in huge jeopardy, let's put together a representative body of everybody who's impacted and come up with really creative solutions which will protect people and programs. They didn't do that. They just like, oh yeah, great, we can, we can cut staff, we can reduce lecturers, um, we, can, we can do this. It's, it's not a good plan. Yeah, um, and it doesn't even really make sense in their own terms because it's not financially sensible. Um, is that sort of inflation typical, um, as far as you know, across colleges and universities in other states? Because I I feel like it is. <laughs> I don't know how far I want to chase this thread, but it's a curious one. Which is at, at what point did that kind of top heavy? you know, insane salary level start happening yeah. across universities because it yeah. it doesn't make sense to me personally. Yeah. I, I would be the president for, for 120000 Right, <laughs> so, exactly. Seems like a pretty good salary, right? Yeah, for Vermont. I mean, what do you yeah. want? <laughs> mm -hmm. I know, what do they even do with the money? No, it, you're absolutely right. It is a pattern. You know, it's part of the neoliberal university um, there has been a transfer of wealth within academia away from academics and towards um, administrative bloat, marketing, branding, special projects, building projects, debt, you know, all of those projects that mm -hmm. then need to, their debt needs to be serviced. Um, and and the yeah, the the pay of the top, executives has just soared and in that way i think of the university as being a microcosm of american society more broadly because you've seen the same widening inequalities and concentration of wealth at the top and things getting harder and harder for people the lower down the scale you go right i mean even just as down to a student trying to get an education without spending 30 years paying off a loan it's yeah. quite remarkable. Uh, so what are you doing to organize against this? I know there was a car rally. So if you want to speak a little bit about how that came about and what the yeah. result was, I, I wasn't able to participate. Oh, yeah, well, it, it was it was wonderful. And I, I want to just back up a moment and say that just before our cuts were announced, you know, we'd heard about what had happened at the Vermont State Colleges and you know, that, that there had been threatened closures, campus closures, and that this movement sprang up very quickly and rapidly. And, you know, a kind of mass movement sprang mm -hmm. up, save the colleges. And many of us at UVM were involved in that. You know, some of us went to their car rally in Montpelier, and many of us wrote letters and were really concerned about what was happening with our colleagues in, in the state colleges. And then we heard about the, our own set of cuts. And honestly, the immediate response to the decisions that were being um, imposed on us, I think most people initially felt kind of gutted and demoralized and afraid. And um, there was a 
really strong sense of we can't do anything about this. And there was a union meeting um, called an emergency town hall meeting. And there was a lot of discussion about how a lot of what the administration is doing is legal within the contract. And, you know, there's a kind of sense of, oh, this is just going to happen to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we have this example of the state colleges that had just successfully, at least for now, stopped them from closing down campuses. So a bunch of us just got together and said, hey, let's let's just call a meeting and say, well, what can we do? You know, how can we resist this? Because this horrible thing is happening that's just about to exacerbate all of the inequalities that already exist. And it's not fair. Um, and surely people are angry and want to do something. So we did just, you know, a group of us just called a meeting and 55 people came to that first meeting. And then we set up a Facebook page and I know it's over 800 people on the Facebook page now. And we have a Google group, which is more active than we can even keep track of. Um, you know, we're trying to figure out how to um, get a division of labor and have more organization. but. The first event that we planned was a car protest inspired by the Vermont State Colleges. And that was uh, this past Thursday? Yeah, we just had it. It was a smashing success. The weather really cooperated. It was a beautiful sunny day. And the estimates vary, but it's it felt like there were maybe as many as 100 cars that turned out. It was a very good um, turnout. Lots of faculty, students, community members. And um, we had a couple of speakers at the beginning, um, a lecturer who was impacted by the cuts and a student. And then we circled the president's mansion on campus (laughs) and uh, made a lot of noise. And um, then we all gathered at the end and sang Solidarity Forever. Um, And then, you know, had a sense of, well, what can what can people do next? Right. So it's so, a really good start. So what are your what are your demands if you were gonna bullet point it out? You mentioned sort of having yeah. at, at at minimum a sort of democratic discussion about it. Right. So I think, you know, if, if you were gonna say, all right, it worked, <laughs> what 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 are you, what are your demands uh, for right. for the faculty well, for the administration? The two the two that everybody agrees on Um, and that we have really been driving home are open the books and chop from the top. So open the books means financial transparency because none of these decisions have been based on any kind of systematic scientific examination of finances that have been shared with people. So we're just taking on faith that the administration have a sense of how enrollments are going to be impacted by this crisis. They haven't shared any of that information with us. So, or, you know, staff or students. So first open the books, show us, show us where the money is, you know, and show us where the deficits are. And then we can together collectively come up with a strategy that makes sense. That's point number one. And then point number two, chop from the top, um, the people who are the richest should pay the most, mm-hmm. right? It's a fundamental principle of progressive taxation. Um, the 
the situation that we've just been given is one in which the people who earn on average $32,000 a year are facing losing their jobs. Um, the people who earn $60,000 a year are being told that they have to have at least a 25% pay cut. And the president has very generously said that he will forgo one month of his $630,000 a year salary. Mm -hmm. So that's the opposite of progressive taxation. Um, we're saying protect the people who are vulnerable, protect the people who do the most work for the least pay and come up with a creative way of doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're making 35000 and you're taking a 25% cut, that has such a big impact on how you live your life and if you're able to take care of yourself or your family versus 25% yeah. of 600000 which yeah. I'm assuming means... You know, you sell uh, your boat. I don't know. <laughs> like, it, I, don't, I mean, even even that. I mean, as I said earlier on, I don't even know what somebody does with six hundred and thirty thousand dollars. It doesn't even make. I mean, the the base salary of four hundred and twenty thousand doesn't make any sense to me. But um, yes, yeah, certainly, even if there was across the board, okay, everybody's going to take a twenty five percent cut. Even that would be horribly, grossly unfair. Right. Because of course, twenty five percent of thirty two thousand, um, it makes much more of an impact than twenty five percent of four hundred thousand. I'm not a mathematician, but you know that seems pretty obvious to me. And the reverse is true. You know that, that we've got something like an eight point three percent cut for deans and twenty five percent cut for lecturers, and then possibly job loss for many staff. So we want to reverse that and have a plan that is minimum pain, maximum gain. Mm -hmm. And that means find the money. Mm -hmm. Find the money, protect the people, protect the programs. Right. Shockingly, my wife, who I won't say where she works, but they seem to have, they did that. And they she works for a pretty large corporation, which I just assumed it would just immediately be game over for everybody making lower salaries. But they actually took the most out of the people that earned the most and then scaled it down and did exactly that progressive sort of plan for, wow. for, for salary cuts. And I, I was super impressed by that, actually. Yeah, that is impressive. Who, what's the company? Oh, I don't want to go into the... Okay, oh, yeah, okay, you don't want to do that. But, but <laughs> one, one of the things that we're doing right now in our campaign is um, finding information about other ways of doing this so alternative mm -hmm. budgets a right. number of unions at different universities have been doing amazing work at developing an alternative budget model um the university of wisconsin madison have put out um, a really good set of principles um the fact the uh, faculty at ohio state have also done this so we're pulling together different models which reverse what's going on at UVM and start by putting the, the largest financial burden on the people with the most money and then progressively scaling down so that the people with the least are protected. And that way we can actually save jobs. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And maybe still have an infrastructure in place to have a university in three years. <laughs> well, and that's exactly, I'm really glad that you said that because that's the other aspect of um, these cuts that we're objecting to is that they're actually damaging the university. They're damaging our ability to deliver quality education. I mean, right. Yeah, exactly. Our lecturers are, they're, they're, um, really valued, award-winning, popular, skilled, talented professionals, and they teach eight courses a year. And we're losing, like in, in the English department, the cuts to lecturers means that we'll lose something like 20 courses next year. And that means that students have fewer courses to choose from. And it means that students are losing some of their most beloved teachers. Right. And this is not good. You know, when you're a university in a moment of crisis, you want to improve the quality of your education. You want to show your students and their families that you're doing everything that you can to protect that experience. And these cuts are just kind of recklessly, that you know, it's just like taking a wrecking ball to everything that is good about UVM. Mm -hmm. Are you saying that a university can't survive with just administration? <laughs> exactly. Uh. Um, yes. And the, the, the reality is that the last, I don't have the statistics. Actually, I may have some statistics to hand. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So you may have heard, I don't know whether you, you or the listeners have been following the public discourse around the cuts, but the top administration have put out a number of statements and they have said, this is not a pay cut. Of the lecturers, they said, this is not a pay cut. Strictly speaking, it's true. It's a reduce in the course load, but that is just so disingenuous because of course it's a pay cut because you don't get paid if you're not teaching the classes. So that's point one. Um, and the other thing that they've said is that they are um, consistent with their peer institutions in terms of administrative costs and president's salary and so forth. But actually, our union did an audit through the AAUP um, that found that UVM actually devotes less of its operating budget to faculty than any of our public university peers and the within you, vermont sorry within vermont no, that, that's any of our public university peers so it's okay. like across the nation okay great yeah um universities that are equivalent to uvm mm -hmm. um uvm devotes less of its operating budget to faculty and then also if uvm just brought its priorities into into line with the peer average spending what the others do on administration that would make available $11.7 million annually. <laughs> so I don't know whether that was a lot of information to take in, but the upshot is that UVM is spending too much on top administration and not enough on academics. And that was a pre-existing pattern. Mm -hmm. And their approach to the current budget uncertainty is going to exacerbate that 
And again, we're saying, let's reverse that. Let's start putting more money into academics and less into top administration. Where does, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Where does state funding come in to, to play here? Um, yeah, also a really good question. We are completely in favor of increasing state funding for higher education. Um, UVM has, even in the last 20 years, it's taken a huge reversal in terms of the amount of money that they get from the state and how much they have to rely on um, in tuition. So... I think the figure is that that 73% of general funds come out of tuition Mm -hmm. um, and a very, very small percentage of UVM's money comes from state appropriations. I was uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked, I had Linda Olson on the podcast and I think in I think she said in the in the beginning of the 80s, the percentage was, uh, I think, 48% of funding was coming from the state, and now it's 17%. That's for the state colleges, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think probably UVM's following a similar pattern where it's... Definitely. It's the percentage covered by tuition is steadily going up. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So it's really barely even a public, educa- you know, public university anymore. Um, and that's something that is a huge problem. You know, it's it's uh, obviously led to obscenely high tuition rates for certainly for out, out of staters, but also for in staters. It means that we're not serving Vermont Vermonters in the way that the university used to. And um, so, in terms of kind of bigger demands and and bigger pictures, we would definitely support more funding more state funding to mm-hmm. make UVM more of a an actual public university again and I think that that would also be a bigger demand more broadly that higher education needs a bailout right like mm-hmm. right like the airlines and like the banks um surely education should be prioritized um so I'm gonna wrap up here but I wanted to read something uh just a couple sentences from your from your from your blog uh post in the in the dsa and it's kind of a segue into a question so you write the logic of austerity is that there is not enough to go around so we are forced to compete with each other for the crumbs rather than demanding more access to the wealth that is there and the logic consistently pits us one against one another uh, tenure track against non-tenure track, full-time against part-time, and on a bigger scale, K-12 through education against state colleges, um, against the University of Vermont. So Governor Scott just proposed that we re-vote on the education funding. So how do you see what you've been working on at UVM and the struggles you've had there tied to kind of the larger picture of education in Vermont? And have you had any conversations with people to kind of bridge bridge the struggle because I think being, well, that's the question. I'll leave it there. Yeah. Um, I think that's the crucial question. Um, and our coalition at UVM is actually having a meeting on Monday and we've invited 
people from Vermont State Colleges, from Middlebury College, and from um, various schools represented by NEA. And this is, I, we think this is a crucial step towards building solidarity across all of these different levels of education in our state. Because even though each institution will be facing specific contexts and specific and will have specific issues, we will share certain unifying concerns. And that's what I think we're going to be working on on Monday is, okay, what do we all agree on, right? No austerity during a pandemic. You know, what do we all agree on? Cut from, chop from the top, open the books, um, a democratic process, an inclusive pro process. Um, and I think that identifying what those shared values and shared demands are will strengthen all of our struggles. Mm -hmm. We don't need to have identical issues, right. right? Yeah. I mean, the UVM has endowment hoarding going on. We want to open up the endowment. That's not going to be an issue for the state colleges. Um, and the um, K through 12 educators are going to have their own set of particular concerns, but we still all agree on these fundamental principles. Uh, and that is a progressive approach to budgets, making, you know, finding the money, protecting workers, um, you know, in terms of COVID in particular, a just and equitable reopening. So not endangering workers. Mm -hmm. So I'm quite, I think that um, this move of bringing together people from these different areas of education in Vermont is, is key because we will be stronger if we can stand together and if we can support each other's causes and be there for each other in struggle. But also if we can identify really what are a series of class um, demands. Right. What would you recommend to people who might want to get involved there are, um, it's, it's hard during, you know, social distancing to right. do things in the way that we used to do. Um, so there's a lot of work around um, Facebook groups um, and, um, you know, websites. It's sort of like, well, you go here. Um, you can find our Facebook group by going to UVM United Against Cuts. Mm-hmm. UVM United Against Cuts. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes. And Anthony, I know, you know, are you in touch with Ben Luce? I haven't the... spoken to him yet, um, other than I was just sort of on the Zoom call that you that you had for the for right. the conference. So I would I would uh I would like to reach out to him to Yeah, he'd be good to have on on your um on, on your podcast, but also he set up a website called Thrive. Oh, yes, Thrive. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I had that after Linda Olson came on, so that's been up, but I'll, I'll repost that. Good, good. Yeah, I think that's another way of getting connected. All right, so UVM, United Against 
Cuts. Yes. And Thrive uh, Vermont for people that want to find out more information and get involved. Uh, Helen Scott, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really great conversation. Thank you again.